Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. So this is what the word of the Lord says. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And on that day, they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you again. Um, as you know, today is January 1st, 2017. Isn't that amazing? It just seems, it just seems impossible. But here it is. Here it is. And uh, what that means for many of us is that uh, either you have made New Year's resolutions, you're thinking about making New Year's resolutions, or you feel like you ought to make New Year's resolutions, right? Now, how many of you have already made some New Year's resolutions this year? A few of you have. How many of you uh, are thinking about making some? You just haven't gotten to it just yet. Yes, a few more. How many of you made New Year's resolutions last year? Yes, yes. Okay, now here's the hard question. Do you remember what those New Year's resolutions were from last year? (laughs) You know, I have a story that uh, I heard recently that that might speak to that. I I heard about uh, an old man who was moving into a retirement facility. Uh, He was getting along in age, and he was having trouble keeping up with things around his home, and his wife had passed away a few years earlier, and he just knew that it was time. And so he moved into a retirement facility, Uh, but he was pretty spry for his age, and it didn't take long for him to meet a number of new friends, and among those people that he met was a, a woman who lived down the hall from him, and he was very attracted to her, and she was attracted to him. And so over the next several months, they spent most of their time together, and one night he decided that he was going to propose to her. So he proposed, and the following morning he woke up, and he was thinking about his proposal, and he realized that he couldn't remember how she had responded. (laughs) He couldn't remember if she had said yes or no, and so... He was racking his brain trying to remember her response. He couldn't remember. So he sheepishly walked down to her room and he said, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this, but last night I proposed to you and for the life of me, I can't remember what you said. And she said, oh, thank goodness. I remember saying yes, but I couldn't remember who I said yes to. <laughs> And 
I think in some ways our New Year's resolutions are kind of like that. We, we have great intentions at the beginning of the year. We resolve uh, to, to make changes in our lives for the better that will transform us and transform the world around us. But within a few months, most of us lose sight of that resolve. Our passion fades and we, we forget about the resolution altogether, right? Sometimes our New Year's resolutions are like that. Now, I know that I'm guilty of this myself because I have made resolutions year after year. And usually by March or April, I can't remember what they were. I lose sight of them. And I know that this is a recurring pattern in my life. And so this year, I thought, before I make resolutions again, like I have year after year only to forget about them and not follow through on them, maybe... I should do an assessment as to why this is happening. Why is this pattern taking place in my life? Is it willpower or a lack thereof? Is it a lack of accountability? Or do I lack the desire to change? Maybe these are factors, but are they the factor? Certainly, I must be missing something, but what is it? Now, a few minutes ago, Beth read from Mark 2, 18 through 22. And what's interesting about that passage is, well, a few things. Let me, let me explain. First, Jesus is responding to a question that he receives from some folks that recognize that he and his disciples are not fasting. They're not fasting. And yet John's disciples and even the Pharisees are all fasting. Now, fasting in the ancient world was a sign of repentance and spiritual discipline. And anybody that was serious about their faith would incorporate fasting into their, uh, their spiritual disciplines. Okay? Now, it was demonstrated on a particular form uh, of religious endeavor. And yet, here we are, Jesus... The one who's claiming to be the Messiah and his disciples aren't even following through with this most basic of spiritual disciplines. So people found it odd. They found it odd, and so they approached him and they asked him about it. And Jesus responds by comparing his disciples to being guests at a wedding. At a wedding where there's this amazing celebration taking place. And no one ever fasts at a wedding because... Of course, it's a time of celebration. We don't fast in times of celebration. We fast in times of mourning. We fast in times of repentance. So Jesus is making it clear that there's something new happening here. There's a reason why his disciples are not fasting. And none of the old ways of doing things, the old systems, could comprehend or contain what Jesus is ushering in. We sometimes refer to something new like this as a paradigm shift. A paradigm shift. Jesus is inaugurating just that, a shift of paradigms that that neither the old ways nor old expressions or rituals could contain. Okay? Now, the illustrations that Jesus uses, especially pouring the new wine into wineskins provides some helpful insights when it comes to this endeavor that we take on year after year called New Year's resolutions. Now, how does it apply? 
Well, in verse 22, he says, and no one pours new wine into old wineskins. What is he saying? He says, otherwise the wine will burst the skins. Both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Jesus is masterfully inferring the nature of new wine with the fermentation process or and the fermentation process as being like new ideas or in our case resolutions bringing in something fresh and new okay to our otherwise broken systems or ways of behavior right something new and fresh now if we were to put new wine into old wineskins what would happen well, the wineskins would burst from the pressure from the new wine. As wine begins to ferment, it releases gases. And the old wineskins, over time, become dry and brittle. And they cannot handle the pressure of the new wine. The same is true of our new ideas and our new resolutions. The old wineskins represent traditions. Old traditions. Old ways of thinking. And new ideas won't survive unless they're poured into new wineskins that are capable of stretching. So where are we placing our new resolutions, our new ideas? Are they being placed into an environment that is capable of handling something fresh and bubbly and new? New ideas and resolutions require new systems of behavior along with flexibility. Those are keys to making and keeping our New Year's resolutions. Now, I've heard it said, and maybe you've heard this before, that if we want something new in our lives, we have to do something that we've never done, right? This is talking about uh, a new wineskin, something fresh, a new system or a new behavior, a new way of approaching something that has been problematic over the years. Now, before I go on, I think it's important to point out that old wineskins are not necessarily bad as long as they are holding old wine, right? Some of the old traditions uh, that we hold are very important and worth preserving. So we need to discern what's worth preserving and what needs to be replaced as we move into this new year. Now, Jesus was not being critical of the old wineskins, mind you. He's simply making it clear that he was ushering in something new, something fresh, that could not be contained by the old wineskins. Okay? Now, some traditional thinking and systems, as I said, need to be protected. Think about the traditions that we hold within our body and how important they are to preserving and upholding our faith. Okay, so we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but we need to be mindful of this. Generally speaking, though, when we resolve a New Year's resolution, we're talking about doing something new, something fresh. We're talking about recognizing that the status quo, the way we've been doing things, isn't cutting it any longer, right? So we need to usher in something fresh. How many of you watch Dr. Phil from time to time? Yeah, Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil uses the same approach with everyone that he counsels. 
He starts a dialogue with them, and he starts asking them questions about the way they've been doing things. You know, what's happening in your life? What's creating the conflict? And usually the person explains the conflict and how they've been uh, addressing the issues. And then what does Dr. Phil say? He says, how's that been working for you? How's that been working for you? What is he doing there? He's trying to get the person to recognize that the old wineskin, the old thought pattern, the old way of doing things is not sufficient for the kind of change that they want to see in their lives. Okay? Now, the first thing that we need to recognize when we're making New Year's resolutions, of course, is to make sure that we're pouring new wine, our new wine, the new ideas, our new goals, into new wineskins and not old wineskins. Okay? That will be very, very helpful in, in enabling us to move forward with more success than we've seen in, in years past. Secondly, if our resolution has anything to do with addressing a problem area or shortcoming that we're facing, and usually resolutions do, uh, we need to be sure that we're focused on the root of the issue and not a symptom or a byproduct. Okay? Frequently when we're addressing problems in our lives, we make the mistake of focusing on a symptom or a byproduct as opposed to the root of the issue and therefore we never actually resolve the issue. You know what I'm talking about? What do I mean by this? Well, what is the most common New Year's resolution? What would you guess? I want to lose weight. Right? I want to lose weight. I'm going to resolve to lose weight. And usually that is accompanied by I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to eat better foods. I'm going to join a gym and I'm going to start a workout regime. Um, I'm going to be careful about how many calories I take in. And uh, so on. Now, all of those are good things, right? In and of themselves. But they are not getting at the root of the issue. You see, generally speaking... When people resolve to lose weight, uh, they are recognizing that, that uh, well, their weight is a problem, right? And they'd like to be healthier or in better shape than they currently are, okay? But overeating generally is not the root of the problem. Uh, usually, when people are overeating, like any other addiction, uh, it is part of dealing with a deeper-rooted issue, right? Uh, maybe they feel lonely or depressed or stressed, and so they eat to feel more comfortable, to mask some of those feelings of anxiety or whatever it is that they're feeling, okay? So the actual overeating isn't the problem. There's something that is more deep-rooted that really needs to be addressed. And I know this is true because... Uh, if you go to the gym in January or February, you will find that it is packed with people. There are people all over the place. You can't get a locker. And then when you do get into the gym, you can't get to the machine that you want to use, that machine that is so vital to your workout, because there's people all over the place trying to fulfill their New Year's resolutions. But if you can hold out till March... <laughs> if you can hold out till March, you can waltz right into that locker room. There's plenty of lockers. You can go from machine to machine. You might think the rapture happened. 
on certain days that you're in there. Because all of those folks that resolved to lose weight have lost heart by then. And they have forgotten about that resolution and they've returned to the status quo, right? Okay, how do we address that? Or why does this happen? Well, again, they're not focusing on the root of the problem. They're focusing on eating habits or a lack of exercise, all symptoms to a deeper-rooted issue. Now, if we don't address the root of the issue uh, when it comes to making resolutions, uh, chances are we'll be like that, that crowd that disappears out of the gym. We're going to lose heart very soon after we make our resolutions, and then we'll soon forget them. Let me give you another example of, of focusing on symptoms as opposed to uh, dealing with the root of the issue. Let's say there is a career-oriented father who resolves to spend more time with his children and his family in the new year. Now, that is probably symptomatic of a deep-rooted issue, right? The fact that he's not spending enough quality time with his family. The deeper-rooted issue is probably that he is driven by something that makes him work the hours that he works. It might be a need for success or power or money or approval. It could be a number of things. But unless he determines what the root of the issue is, he probably won't be able to fulfill his New Year's resolution and it might even be unhealthy for him to try. Okay, because he's going to be torn. Now, by the way, when we allow something, anything, even good things, to become so dominant in our lives that it displaces God as our number one uh, desire and passion, the Bible calls that what? Idolatry. Idolatry. Now, idolatry sounds like an awful word doesn't it? And when we think of idolatry, we usually go right to, you know, uh, worshiping uh, wooden images or graven images and things like that. But it's actually much more encompassing than that. And you may think that you don't have an issue when it comes to idolatry. But there's, uh, well, the truth of the matter is most of us do have a struggle with idolatry. And you can test it really easily. We can test it right now by asking ourselves a very simple question. You want to know what it is? The question is this. Is there anything or anyone in your life right now that if you lost, you would feel as though your life was no longer worth living? Or if you lost it, would you feel that it would be next to impossible to continue to trust and worship God? Now you have to think about that for a while. Uh, because most of us have things that kind of go in and out of that role in our lives. Things that become central to our well-being. But we have to remember, anything that replaces God will fail. It will never provide the kind of life transformation and sustainable well-being that we're so longing for. Uh, Rebecca Pipper you may remember her. She wrote a book several years ago called Out of the Salt Shaker. She says that we do not control ourselves. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. 
whatever or whoever that Lord may be. Did you get that? So it may not be God that's controlling us. It may be some other Lord that has taken the place of God in our lives. Now, this is a very important insight, again, when it comes to making New Year's resolutions. If we want our resolutions to be life-giving, I mean truly life-giving, we need to make sure that our resolutions are in alignment with God's vision for our lives. Sometimes we have a vision for our lives that is a little different from the vision that God has for our lives, right? And those two come in conflict with one another. But we don't want our resolutions to focus on some substitute for God that will never provide for us what we're truly looking for. And God doesn't want that for us either, right? Now, whether we realize it or not, God has an infinite plan for your life. He loves you so deeply. He knows you intimately. And he created you uh, in such a way that there's nothing that we can do or put into our lives that will come even close to the wholeness that he freely gives us in Jesus. Nothing. We will try all sorts of things throughout the course of our lives. And all of them will come up short. And Jesus will patiently wait for us to return to him so that we can really live the abundant life. He shows us the way to replace all of the worldly desires with a singular focus on him. Then he sends his spirit to fill us And when his spirit fills us with joy and purpose, he begins to transform our character from the inside out by renewing both our hearts and our minds. That's what God is wanting to do in each of our lives. He gives us a new perspective and a new hope. And this, by the way, is the new wineskin of the spirit that Jesus is talking about back in Mark. This is what Jesus has ushered into our world. This is what we now have access to. And this is what we should really be pursuing. Okay? Anything short of that is nothing but a substitute. His desire that we would become vessels of that new wine. And so he gifts us and he equips us accordingly. If we abide in him, he will give us a passion And the desire to do the things that he would do if he were walking in our shoes. I used to love it when Dallas Willard would say, God's desire for us is that we could do whatever we want to do. Now, I have to tell you, the first several times I read that in Dallas Willard's books, I thought, oh, he definitely got that wrong. Okay? Because it sounds counterintuitive. But if you think about the transformation that God is wanting to do in our lives, a complete and total transformation of our hearts and minds. If we experience that kind of transformation, the things that we want to do will be in perfect alignment with what God would want us to do if he were walking in our shoes. That's pretty cool. Now, sadly, many people, including people in the church, uh, believe that the Christian life is about believing in God and keeping the rules. If you can do those two things, 
Then, when you die, you'll get to go to heaven. And so that's the primary aspiration of so many believers. And it's kind of sad because what they have, in that case, is the wineskin, but there's no wine in it. It's an empty wineskin. And they drag around these empty wineskins, the empty wineskins of traditional religion without the new wine of the Spirit living inside. And Jesus doesn't want us to do that anymore. That's why he's ushered in something new. And so in this coming year, we need to be sure that our resolutions are moving us toward that new wine and not toward substitutions that will just further distract us from the one thing that will really make a difference in our lives. Jesus wants us to experience the abundant life. But what is the abundant life? He talks about it. Paul talks about the abundant life. But what exactly is it? Well, one of the best places that we see a description of the abundant life is in Ephesians 3, 16 through 19, where Paul is praying for the Ephesians. And he says this, I pray that out of the glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is the new wineskin that Jesus is ushering in. This is what he wants us to embrace as we think about this new year and what's to come. When we pray this prayer and when it's answered in our lives, we will begin to realize that the abundant life is much, much more, so much more than just having our sins forgiven so that one day we can enter heaven. The abundant life can start now. Right now. The abundant life is, is learning to be a disciple of Jesus. Having our character transformed into his likeness and resolving to live our lives in step with his. And finally, it's being all in when it comes to reflecting God's love as we go about our business. As we live out our daily lives. Are we a reflection of God's love? Are we a reflection of the transformation that's taking place or has taken place in our lives? If not, it's not too late. Because transformation is a process. And we can begin uh, or to take new steps and start to usher in new wine into new wineskins that will begin to take effect in our lives like never before. So it's never too late as long as we're still breathing, okay? As Christians, we need to carefully distinguish between the difference between making good resolutions and godly resolutions. How do we tell the difference between a good resolution and a godly resolution? First, there's the issue of motivation. Motivation. Motivation is what drives us to do the things that we do. Now, all cultures at all times have had various biases. Various biases that are deep-rooted within the culture. Now, an outside observer can look at a, another culture and see those 
issues really easily, those cultural biases. But it's much more difficult to detect them in our own culture. Today, for instance, we might be surprised as we read through the Old Testament that godly men of the Old Testament, such as Abraham or David, had multiple wives and mistresses. We read about that and we think, what on earth were they thinking? I mean, how could that be godly? Now, this practice was culturally acceptable at that time as a way of producing more income and family wealth, but God actually never endorsed it. He, ne he actually never endorsed that idea. In fact, he weaves in through the scriptures lots of examples where it actually created a lot of turmoil. Consider the strife between Sarah and Hagar, or Leah and Rachel. Now that being said, it's a lot more difficult to recognize biases within our own culture because they're so natural to us. We're so comfortable with our culture. But Tim Keller uh, makes a point in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, that I think is really interesting when it comes to this. He says that the highest value in modern Western society, that's, that's what most of us are immersed in now, regardless of where we've come from. The highest value in Western society is the freedom and autonomy of individual self. The freedom and autonomy of individual self. What is he, what is he saying here? He's saying that our default is to maximize our happiness and personal fulfillment while eradicating any and all unpleasantness. What we're trying to achieve is comfort. We want our world, in the Western world, to be comfortable. And individual freedom underpins our consumption-oriented economy, right? For instance, if you and your spouse don't like the same mattress, no problem. Each of you can program your individual side of the mattress with your own sleep number, right? Yeah. In addition to that, some newer cars have climate control that is different from one side of the car to the other, right? So everybody can be perfectly comfortable in their own climate. Now, is this a bad thing? No, not in, of, not in and of itself. In fact, it might even save your marriage, right? <laughs> but when it comes to making resolutions, these sorts of things or this sort of mindset can actually serve as a distraction from God's best for us. God never promises that life's going to be comfortable or easy. And so we need to be careful in our quest for comfort that it doesn't keep us from God's best for us. It takes a little probing, a lot of prayer, and, and some quiet times with God to discern what his best is for you. Uh, for instance, let's say that one of your resolutions was to lose weight. It's the most popular resolution. And you want to get into better shape in the process. Okay. Now, if you were, let's say, overweight... Uh, it would be difficult to argue that that would be a bad resolution or an ungodly resolution, at least from the get-go. We would probably say that's a good resolution. It might 
You might even be able to make the case that it's a godly resolution because the Bible says that our bodies are the temple, right? And that the spirit resides in our body. So if we get into shape and we eat well and, we, and we're, we're as healthy as we possibly can be, um, then we're actually creating a, a system uh, where we can actually advance God's kingdom even better, right? So that could be a good, a good resolution. But suppose your worth as a person hinged in some way or was tied in some way to your outside appearance, okay? So your resolution then to lose weight might actually be a manifestation of a narcissistic pursuit that is moving you from the realm of making a good resolution to potentially a dangerous resolution, a resolution that will move you further away from God's best for you. Now, we've all seen and heard about people jeopardizing their health through fad diets where they lose hundreds of pounds in just a matter of weeks or using performance-enhancing drugs to build muscles, uh, those sorts of things. Anything to, to get to that beach body that we're looking for, right? So how can we be certain that in the coming year we're making resolutions that are godly resolutions and not just good resolutions? Well, I came up with five questions that I'd like for us to consider. I think these five questions will help us to not only make good resolutions, but godly resolutions that are both sustainable and life-giving. Okay? Now, the first one is this. As I make my resolution, am I pouring my new wine into old or new wineskins? Okay? We should start there. I've got a new idea, a new resolution. I'm going to pour it out. But what am I pouring it out into? An old or a new wineskin. Second, will this resolution address the root of the problem that I'm trying to address? Am I focusing on the root or am I, am I actually looking to some sort of symptom or byproduct of the issue that I really want to solve? That will, that will play a very big part in making sure that you're successful. Number three, who is the chief beneficiary of this resolution? Me or the body of Christ? Uh, earlier, I talked a little bit about making resolutions that can be narcissistic. <laughs> we all do that. But any good resolution should benefit the body at large just as much or more than it benefits you. Okay? So compare, compare this question with the resolution that you're making. Uh, number four, can I achieve this resolution through mere willpower and self-effort or must I rely on God's power? Okay. If we can achieve a resolution in our own strength, it's probably not a very good resolution. The best resolutions require a supernatural infusion of God's power in our lives to do something we've never done before. And God is more than willing to offer that if our resolution is in alignment with his best for our lives. Okay, and number five, will achieving this resolution have only temporal benefits or will it have eternal benefits? 
okay? There's a lot of things that we can do that will benefit us in the temporal. But if we're trying to accomplish things in our lives that have eternal benefits, it's going to take us so much further. It's going to bring us into that abundant life that Jesus is talking about. Okay? Now, if we consider these questions as we go about making new resolutions, I believe that we will be well on our way uh, to creating sustainable resolutions and God-centered, God-honoring resolutions. Resolutions that will change our lives for the better. Okay? Now, I once heard a pastor say that as Christians, we cannot lose our salvation, but we can miss our calling. The first time I heard that, I was terrified. Because I don't want to go through this life and then find out that while I retained my salvation, I missed my calling. And God has placed a calling on each of your lives that is so, so amazing and so powerful. And he doesn't want you to miss it. And so some of these resolutions or these questions that I've given you will help you to get closer to your calling as well. Now, starting next week, Keith is going to kick off a new series here at Trinity entitled All In. And really, All In is the next step to what we're talking about here. In this series, it will focus on the commitments that we make. Uh, Many people are averse to making commitments. The thinking is that if I make a commitment, then I'll be obligated to whatever or whoever I commit myself to. And I really want to retain my freedom. And so instead of making resolutions, I will resolve not to make any resolutions this year. That way, I will never be disappointed and I will not fail. Right? Some of us have done that. But when it comes to making new resolutions, um, those are the very things that are going to usher us into the higher ground. The abundant life that God is talking about. And there's an alternative opinion that says it's actually only when we make commitments that we are free to experience intimacy, true intimacy, and the kind of community that God envisioned for us. So that's what we're going to be looking forward to in the weeks to come as Keith shares with us. So I hope you're able to come and be a part of that because I think it will bless you. So let me pray for us. And then we'll come to the table. Lord, thank you so much for your love for us and your desire for us and the vision that you have for us that is so much greater than anything we could contrive on our own. Lord, forgive us for trying to find substitutes in our own strength to fill the void that only you can fill. Lord, I pray that we would make resolutions in this coming year and that they would be both God-honoring And life-giving. Lord, I pray that you would help us in that endeavor. Help us to get to the root of the problems that we face, Lord. Help us to take the new wine that you are pouring into us, Lord, and into our minds and into our thoughts. And give us vision for where we should pour it out into new wineskins that are pliable, flexible, and able to sustain the direction that you would have us go. Lord, we know that you're offering all of this out of your love for us and because 
You have a calling that you've placed on each of our lives, and you don't want us to miss that calling. So we thank you for that in advance. In Jesus' name, amen.